Sermon number 547, How Does God Know That I Love Him? Preached in the First Presbyterian Church of Bakerstown on Sunday, September 20, 1970. The scripture reading is Matthew 25, 31 through verse 46. Here, one of the many parables of our Lord, that one that has to do with the sheep and the goats, the one that is recorded in Matthew's Gospel, the 25th chapter, beginning to read at the 31st verse. Jesus said, When the Son of Man comes as King and all the angels with him, he will sit on his royal throne, and all the earth's people will be gathered before him. Then he will divide them into two groups, just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep at his right and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to the people on his right, You who are blessed by my Father, come. Come and receive the kingdom which has been prepared for you ever since the creation of the world. I was hungry, and you fed me. Thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you received me into your homes. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me in prison, and you visited me. The righteous will then answer him, When, Lord, did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we ever see you a stranger and welcome you in our homes or naked and clothe you? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? The king will answer back, I tell you indeed, whenever, whenever you did this for one of the least important of these brothers of mine. You did it for me. Then the king will say to those on his left, Away from me, you who are under God's curse. Away to the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. I was hungry, but you would not feed me. Thirsty, but you would not give me drink. I was a stranger, but you would not welcome me in your homes. Naked, but you would not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, but you would not take care of me. Then they will answer him, When, Lord, did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison, and we would not help you? The king answered them back, I tell you indeed, whenever you refuse to help, one of these least important ones, you refused to help me. These then will be sent off to eternal judgment. The righteous will go to eternal life. Amen. How does God know I love him? That is the question which we are addressing this morning, and you know it's a tough one. And unless you're going to just give run-of-the-mill answers and repeat pious slogans, it's a very difficult question to answer.
And because it is difficult, you find people disagreeing as to what an individual might do to show God so that there can be no question in God's mind whatsoever as to whether or not an individual loves him. There are some people who, are say, who say that the best and perhaps easiest way for God to know that I love him is for me to tell him so. After all, is not this the easiest way for one to express love to another by words of mouth? Yes, I, I guess it is. But you know, maybe you're like me and you find that it's very, very difficult to express love to a father. I don't know how many times you have done it, of being able to say to your earthly father, Dad, I love you. But you know, that that's a tough thing to do. Well, we have opportunities all the time. We're in close proximity with our earthly fathers practically every day, and really, it wouldn't be too hard, would it, to be able to say, those three little words, I love you. But when was the last time you said them to your earthly father? I know parents, especially paternal parents, who would do almost anything if a mature son or a daughter would unsolicitedly say unto their father, I love you. You see, this is very difficult to do. And if it's very difficult for us to say unto our earthly fathers who we can see and touch and know personally, is it not even more difficult to say this unto your father in heaven whom you cannot see? You know, one of the reasons why I think it is so difficult for us to say these words it's because we know that love, sometimes, when we talk too much about it, becomes cheap. And the words are hollow. And in all my own life, I often felt that it is more important for my earthly father to see that I love him, rather than just to say words which may not have any backing or meaning. And I think this is the case with most of us. We, we feel that Instead of just talking about love, let's do something that shows our fathers that we love them. What can you do to show your earthly father that, that, that you, you love him? Some people say that the way to show our heavenly father that you love him is to obey his commandments. Now that sounds reasonable, don't it? Doesn't. Perhaps we are expressing love to God, love that he can easily recognize when we do not bend our knees to other gods, when we do not take his name in vain, when we do not cheat and lie and steal and commit murdery, murder and adultery, and, and when we are not covetous. Yes, maybe God in his eternal heaven can, can interpret these negative 
actions as being expressions of our love. But you know, I have often had it brought home to me from time and time again that sometimes it's very difficult for another to know an expression of our love when we don't do anything. You see, Jesus saw this particular problem in trying to express love by just obeying the Ten Commandments. He knew, like many husbands and wives and, and children know in any household and can give testimony to the fact that it's altogether possible to live in the same household with somebody who is a good individual, who obeys the commandments of God, who obeys the laws of the state, who does not run around, does not cheat, does not steal, does not lie. Yet it's also altogether possible to feel from this individual no love whatsoever. I have heard people say, he is a good man, but they don't love him, because it's possible to live such a legalistic life that even love does not come through. And Jesus knew that this could happen, and therefore I think he was a little concerned when he saw people trying to show God their love simply by abstaining from doing things that other people do. So Jesus took the ten negative commandments, added them up, and got two positive ones. He says the commandment is, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you shall do, you say, do something to another as you would have him do unto you. Jesus said, yes, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then later on in John's Gospel he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I love you. You see, Jesus helps us out greatly on this information that many of us are seeking as to how we can know that God actually loves us. Jesus says we should think of our Father for God is our Father in heaven. And if he is our Father in heaven, that means that every man, woman, and child, whether he or she knows it, is a child of God. Jesus was trying to tell us that the best way to please a parent is to do something for his or her child. And you know, it's almost always true that if you do something for someone's son or daughter, that parent is more pleased than if you had done it for him or for her. God is no different. You see, in a sense, there is absolutely nothing that we can give God. By virtue of the fact that he is God, there is absolutely nothing he does not have, nothing that he does not know. This is why Jesus introduces, this to, introduces us to the unique idea in the Christian gospel which says that if we're going to please God, the best way we can do it is to do something for his sons and his daughters, his children here on earth. Inasmuch as you have done it under the least of one of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. Those are the very words of Jesus in this parable. In other words, if you really want to show God that you love him, 
You do something positively, helpfully to God's children here on earth. The whole point of this parable that was read to you this morning is this. Your love that you claim you have for God will be judged by God with the things that you do for other people here on earth, or by the things that you do not do for other people here on earth. This is how God knows that you love him, by what you do or you do not do, for the sons and daughters of God here on earth. This parable tries to show us, you see, some things that oftentimes we forget, some things which have not been driven home quite as firmly as they might have been. Jesus, in using this simple illustration, this parable, this story, is trying to show us that God knows that we love him when we do not forget those little ministries of service to one another. Those little ministries of service. I emphasize this because we are in a day, believe it or not, when the little ministries are suffering. These are days of big ministry, mighty ministry, and many people feel that if their cause does not hit the headlines of the newspapers or the 11 p.m. news at night, they're really not too effective. So consequently, you see the, the little ministries suffer. This is the day when you get violently involved in big causes. <coughs> Just pick up any newspaper and look how many organizations exist. These organizations have taken the alphabet and turned them forward, backwards, and in upside down just to get the initials for their particular organizations. And they're not all bad. Do not get me wrong. I'm sure God in his heaven looks down with a knowledge that these people love me. When from the sincerity of their hearts they're trying to alleviate some of the problems and evils in this world because of the great concern they have for their fellow man. You may not like some of the causes and some of the protesting and some of the marches, but you know, God just might be very pleased when he sees people down here on earth who are serious about doing something to help someone else. I'm sure that God must be looking out of heaven and being very grateful and thankful and accepts as a token of love when a congressman or a legislator is earnestly from the desires of a pure heart to seek for some legislation that will take care of the poor and the hunger. I'm sure that God is pleased when he looks down on some of these protesters who from the sincerity in their Christian hearts are really trying to secure equal rights for all people. I'm sure God accepts as a token of love some of these young idealists who from 
the sincerity in their hearts are trying to believe that they can really do something to alleviate the evils of war and senseless killing. Well, you may not like it and I may not like it, but I think God accepts some of these big movements as expressions of love of people who are trying to do something down here on earth to show God that they love him. My only concern, though, is in getting involved in these major things that sometimes we forget the minor services. Those minor services of giving a warm meal to a man who is hungry, a cold drink of water to somebody who is thirsty, a big welcome to somebody who is a stranger in a crowd or in a church of sharing not your worst but your best suit of clothes with some clothing drive, of going to see a sick person, not to tell him how horrible you feel, but to cheer him up, to spend a Sunday afternoon in a jail visiting a prisoner. These little ministries, you know, we don't hear much about them anymore, do we? I can remember one of the manses that I was raised in. I wasn't too old at that time, but I can still remember there was hardly a Sunday noontime meal served in our home when after we had sit, sat down for dinner there, there was that knock at the back door. Hungry man wanting a meal. I don't hear that knock anymore, and I wonder why. Is it a, that our government is doing such a fine job that these people aren't around anymore? Or is it because these people know that we have forgotten some of the little ministries, the little services that once people used to do, but today we don't do it because we're such a highly affluent, organized, governmentally controlled society that we send them to some social agency or we tell them that the government will take care of them and, and there's no need for us to, to show these little services of ministry. You know, we, we oftentimes just don't think in this realm anymore. When, when was the last time you you took a cup of cold water to someone who was thirsty, maybe someone working at your home? It's up to him to bring his own canteen, and if he doesn't, why should I worry? When was the last time you went, not because you felt you had or because the church sent you, to a sick home, a home where someone is ill, and where you went just to cheer them up? That's the job of the preacher and the staff of the church. When was the last time you were in jail? As a visitor, of course, not, you know. Or will your next trip be the first? I know some of you couldn't find our local jail if you had to. You see, we don't do these things anymore. Yet Jesus tells us in this parable, that God knows 
church, that we love him, when we remember to do these little things, which anybody can do, God accepts them as an expression of our love. And then he goes on to try and tell us that God knows that we love him when we give unselfishly, when we give spontaneously and unconsciously, when we give expecting absolutely nothing in return. Do you, do you, do you see who the heroes are in this story? The heroes are the people who at some time had given a meal, a drink of water, a visit, a welcome, and they had forgotten all about it. The king had to remind them of that particular time when they did something for someone else because they had forgotten all about it. That's marvelous. These people, you see, did not give with the idea that they were making some type of heavenly, eternal investment which would return to them multiplied in its fold. These people were not giving just to glorify themselves, they were giving to help a cause. You see, it's altogether possible to put some money in the offering plate or to give to some worthy cause, not to help people, but merely to be seen by men. Jesus said, people who give and expect applause and even thank you are individuals who have already had their reward. Their reward comes in, in the applause or in the recognition. But they do not have that great reward of knowing that they are helping someone else, expecting absolutely nothing in return. Jesus says that when we give, our left hand should not know what the right hand is doing. I know some people who think this is an instruction that Jesus is giving for people how to give to the offering plate. I see them, they put the left hand in the pocket and they slide up and put something with the right hand into the plate. This isn't what Jesus is talking about. He's not telling us how to give, he's trying to tell us why we are to give, the motivation for our giving, and it is simply we give because we cannot do anything else but give. And when we attain this particular level, this is when God knows that we love him. A, a man was crossing the Alps and found himself in the midst of a tremendous snowstorm. He thought he was about doomed to death when suddenly from nowhere there came an individual who rescued him. And when he had been taken to a place of safety and regained the use of his faculties, he he asked the name of the rescuer. The man would not give it to him. But please, sir, I must know your name. If you will not take some material reward, at least I want to know your name so that I can pray for you. That is not necessary. And a violent argument ensued. And the rescuer put the whole case to rest when he said, Tell me, sir, what is the name of the good Samaritan in the parable? I'm sorry, I can't do that, for Scripture does not reveal that name to us. Neither is it necessary, then, that you know my name. Real giving does not expect anything in return. Its thrill is in seeing someone going more easily and more happily upon his way. And when we get to the place when we can give, 
unconsciously and spontaneously, then God knows we love him. And then the last one in this passage, and I know many people would like that it was not here. It means that you love God and he knows it when you can give indiscriminately. When you can give indiscriminately. That is, when you can give to anybody and everyone and not be selective in your giving. You see, there's a common comment that we hear in the church and in different areas of our society today. It goes something like this. I will give my time, my talent, and my money if it is used wisely and carefully. But I will not give these gifts to any individual or any organization that can possibly squander them and make me feel cheated and imposed upon. That comment is quite prevalent. I hear it all the time. It sounds like it's good business. It sounds like wise spending. There's really only one thing that I know that makes it sound wrong. And it's the fact that Jesus didn't think much of this idea of Christian economics. As a matter of fact, he was very much against it. And that's what he's hitting hard in this particular parable. Those individuals who were assigned to the pens of the goats. You see, that's the very excuse they used. Lord, if only we had known it was you, instead of just some worthless beggar, some half-thirsty individual, somebody who was really no good. If we had only known it was you, oh, we would have given. <laughs> Jesus wants no part of that trash. And consequently, the Christian himself cannot be calculating and selective in his Christian giving. Yes, we're liable to be cheated. Yes, we're very liable to be used and imposed upon. We're very liable to be swindled. But as Christians, that's the risk we must take. Because, you see, we can never be quite sure which project, which individual God is working through. And sometimes we think that the good organizations, well, sometimes they're just not the organizations that God has chosen. And sometimes these ones that we don't appreciate those are the very ones that God is planning to do great things. Where would we have been if, if Jesus Christ had been selective in choosing us? He died for us while we were yet sinners. He risked, you see, giving his all. And we had no choice if we're going to love God, we must give 
indiscriminately. That's tough. But that's the Christian way of doing it. I hope this has helped because, you see, ladies and gentlemen, every one of us someday are going to stand before that place where on the right are the sheep fields, on the left the goat's pen. And Christ is going to be there, and we're going to be asked some questions. I doubt very much whether we'll be required to recite the Bible books or even recite verses of Scripture. We might be. We should be prepared. I doubt very much whether we're going to be given an examination in our Christian concepts and in our creeds. I doubt even very much whether or not we're going to be investigated in the orthodoxy of our beliefs. Maybe. We ought to know them, though. I'm not even sure we're going to be questioned on our moral conduct. Maybe. But I know there are going to be at least two questions that are asked. One, what do you think of me? Christ will ask. And secondly, I'm pretty sure he's going to ask, what did you do? 